listen to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. First up this week, we'll give you an update on Pope Francis's recent sciatica flare-up, which caused him to miss a few events. Then we'll cover a controversial statement from the president of the U.S. Bishops' Conference on Joe Biden's inauguration. We'll talk about the questions it raises and what it reveals about a growing tension between the U.S. bishops and the Vatican. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. All right. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from sunny, cold, but beautiful Rome, Colleen. But the streets are empty. Yeah, yeah. So how is the uh, lockdown situation for you guys right now? Well, we're in what they call the orange zone right now, which means all the restaurants, all the bars, etc. are closed. Uh, You can move around, yes, uh, but uh, you can't move from one region to another. And uh, we hope by the end of the week we may be moving into the yellow zone, which means the bars and restaurants go back open. But in the shops, it's a sad sight because shops are open and... Those inside are just twiddling their thumbs because nobody's coming. Yeah, I really hope that you guys are able to to get back into the yellow zone uh, at the end of at the end of this week. Hopefully, Jerry, uh, let's talk first about uh, Pope Francis. You know, he he missed a few events this week, three big events, uh, including his address to the diplomatic corps that was supposed to be on Monday, the twenty fifth. Uh, and he missed these because he had a flare-up in his sciatica again. This is the nerve pain that he experiences in his back. And it's exacerbated a lot by by standing. It sometimes gets worse in the winter. We just talked a few weeks ago about another flare-up that he had. Um, you mentioned back then that the situation might have been made worse because he wasn't able to see his usual physical therapy person. Uh, what's the situation with his care now? Is he Is he reconnected with his physical therapist? Yes, this is a second bout, which is different from the first. How's it different? Uh, Well, they seem to have cured the first one. They had adjusted it, and then uh, we don't quite know what triggered this second one. But uh, the reality is it's not so serious, but the doctors strongly advised him not to participate in those three events. One was Sunday morning mass. That would have been an hour and a half long, roughly. Then that on Monday morning, he was due to address the diplomatic corps. There are 183 states have diplomatic relations with the Holy See. And I understand that maybe about 100 ambassadors or more were ready to come to listen to his address and greeting and meet him on the Monday morning. But that would have been maybe between two, two and a half hour long event. And then that same Monday evening, he was supposed to participate in Vespers for the end of the week of prayer for Christian unity. And that would have been another hour. So the doctors kind of looking at the program that he had crashed into 36 hours. He would have been maybe five, six hours or more standing. And that's the problem, that if he has to stand for a long time and he's got the beginning of the sciatica, that the standing will just create real problems. And so they. It, this was a preventative action, as I understand it. Mm-hmm. So we'll keep an eye on uh, if Francis is missing any more events and, and if he seems to be recovering. Uh, I'm sure that, Jerry, you'll have your eye on that uh, at any of his public appearances going forward. Yeah. 
may be the toughest and deadliest period of the virus. We must set aside politics and finally face this pandemic as one nation. As the Bible says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Pope Francis congratulated Joseph Biden on the occasion of his inauguration as the 46th President of the United States. In his message, the Pope assured President Biden of his prayers that God will grant him wisdom and strength in his efforts to foster understanding, reconciliation, and peace in the country. For our main story this week, uh, we want to talk about how last week America's second Catholic president, Joe Biden, was inaugurated as president. And as we know, this inauguration came just two weeks after this violent mob stormed the U.S. Capitol in an effort to prevent the presidential election that elected Joe Biden from being certified. So in many ways, this inauguration was was seen as a victory for American democracy, for our nation's commitment to a peaceful transition of power after it faced this threat. But in the U.S. church, that moment of celebration was kind of tinged with controversy. Uh, there was this tension because Pope Francis sent along his customary good wishes to the president, just like he did with President Trump. But the president of the U.S. Bishops' Conference, uh, Bishop Gomez, took a different approach he issued a long statement that kind of outlined areas of agreement and disagreement with Biden. So first, Jerry, let's talk about, you know, how is this different from how the USCCB has treated presidents in the past? Normally, when the new president is sworn in, the Pope sends a message of greeting. There is no precedent for the conference of bishops or the president of the conference to issue a statement on that occasion. When the Vatican found out about it, it wasn't that they were consulted on it about the bishop's statement. When they found out about it, they were stunned. Uh, one senior official, very senior official, summed up the thinking of the senior officials in the Vatican. He said, in our view, this was not the time, nor the place, nor the way that the bishops should have issued a statement. And why was that a problem? Like, it seemed pretty straightforward, just, okay, let's outline where we agree, where we disagree. Look, Colleen, uh, as one senior official said to me, this document really, it was the focus point of it was on the question of abortion. It was a confrontational text. I actually, I have the quote here and I want to read it off. Um, he says, Bishop Gomez says, at the same time as pastors, the nation's bishops are given the duty of proclaiming the gospel in all its truth and power, in season and out of season, even when that teaching is inconvenient or when the gospel's truth run contrary to the directions of the wider society and culture. So I must point out that our new president has pledged to pursue certain policies that would advance moral evils and threaten human life and dignity, most seriously in the areas of abortion, contraception, marriage, and gender. Of deep concern is the liberty of the church and the freedom of believers to live according to their consciences. The, the, the point here, the, the point here is Pope Francis, from day one of his pontificate, has always insisted that you promote the culture of encounter, the culture of dialogue, not that of confrontation. He's made clear to all the nuncios that in the looking for candidates for bishops, and he's made clear to the congregation of bishops, he wants bishops who engage in dialogue, not confrontation. So this really is departing from the direction the Pope has taken. Yeah, and I think it's also important for us to see that this happened not in a vacuum, right? Like, even if you just look at the statement and 
you say, okay, they were just outlining, you know, here's where we agree, here's where we disagree. That didn't happen alone, right? We also saw back in November, the U.S. bishops created this special committee that's talking about how they can specifically relate with the challenges of a Biden presidency. And we saw no such thing under Trump and we saw no such thing under Obama. Um, and so it, it's it's as a whole, they're really taking kind of a confrontational approach to him. Yes, I think it's important to say about the November, the setting up of the committee in November, the working group, they call it. This was a decision of the president. It didn't go through the the committee. It was a decision of the president of the conference. Mm-hmm. Under pressure, I understand, from a certain group of bishops. Right. It's my understanding that that's also uh, a dynamic that was at play when when this document was being drafted. So this statement was was signed by Archbishop Gomez, who's the president of the USCCB, but it was issued on behalf of all the U.S. bishops. And yet in the following days, we saw a few U.S. bishops, including Cardinal Blaise Zupich of Chicago, who's close with the Pope, coming out and saying, you know, this statement was the wrong way to go. You know, they wanted to align themselves more with the Pope's statement. And Cardinal Supic specifically raised the complaint that the members of the administrative committee of the USCCB, who are supposed to be contacted and and asked for input before this comes out, uh, that they weren't given enough time to, to weigh in. So I wanted to ask you, you know, you've been looking into this for about a week now. What do we know about how this USCCB statement, the statement from President Gomez, was put together? Well, the Archbishop Gomez, in his letter to the bishops, which I now have seen, explains that he had set up the conference, uh, the the working group in after the at the November meeting. He'd set it up. He'd appointed Archbishop Vigneron as a member of it, and a number of the relevant chairs of the committees of the conference. He said that working group met two times. And they came and gave him advice. One, they proposed, suggested, that he wrote a letter to the new president, outlining their willingness to cooperate in various areas, but also their problems in other areas. Archbishop Gomez himself took the decision not to write the letter, but to issue a press statement. Right. Then Archbishop Gomez also said that the second report from the working group indicated that they were going to deal with the question of Eucharistic coherence or consistency, whatever is the expression. In other words, the question of should the President of the United States receive communion. Mm -hmm. I've been told that normally if the President of the conference issues something in the name of the conference of such a uh, dimension, it, it should have gone through the committee, the administrative committee. Now, I'm I'm not a technician in terms of knowing exactly all the details of the bishop's conference, but I'm told this didn't happen. And so some bishops publicly and some privately responded rather negatively to the issuing of the document. From the Vatican point of view, and that I can talk about from since I know what's happened here, they were very, I think, upset that president of the bishop's conference should issue a statement on the day of the inauguration, which was rather confrontational. Right. That actually brings me to our last question, which is this question of censorship, right? So there was a story that came out on inauguration morning uh, from Pillar Catholic, which is a new initiative by some former uh, EWTN Catholic News Agency uh, editors. 
And they said that the Vatican had actually told the USACB not to publish the statement. Now, the statement had actually already been published by Catholic News Agency, the the place where these two editors used to work. And so the embargo that was supposed to lift at 9 a.m., right, this statement was supposed to come out at 9 a.m., the embargo was broken. Um, And then they ran a story, a pillar, saying that the bishops had been told by the Vatican not to publish the statement. But then the bishops went ahead and published it anyway. And so I've been trying to figure out, you know, did the bishops, uh, did they ignore the Vatican's order or has there maybe been a misunderstanding about uh, what the Vatican actually said to the bishops? What do you know about that? Did the Vatican try to step in and, and stop the publication of this? I am not certain of this. My understanding is that they, they didn't want it to come out before the Pope's statement. And the Pope's statement was to come out after the president had been sworn in. In fact, they they, they issued it after he'd finished his uh, his speech. Also, the, the, the Vatican was obviously not very happy with the contents of the letter. I have not yet clarified whether they actually gave a, asked the bishop's conference not to publish it. Mm-hmm. In, in any case, this letter was originally scheduled to go out three hours before Biden became president, which is extraordinary. You know, I had one senior archbishop here who said to me, when I heard that the American bishops were coming out with a statement, I expected a pastoral statement. But when I read it, I found it was a political statement that will further divide the church. And this I did not like. Here in the Vatican, the, the, the position is that if the Vatican were to adopt the same kind of strategy with governments around the world, going in hard on one central issue, abortion, how would you conduct dialogue? How would you work? It, it, it is a surprising way to begin work with a new administration where you have a man who is professedly religious, recognizably Catholic. Uh, But some people say you cannot be a good Catholic if you support uh, in any way abortion. No one says you cannot be a good Catholic if you support systemic racism, or you cannot be a good Catholic if you victimize immigrants, or you cannot be a good Catholic if you block efforts to protect the earth. Now, that the bishops just go on this issue and ignore the rest uh, is uh, it's a far call from the approach of Pope Francis, which clearly uh, some of them find difficulty in following, and it's far from a call from what many would consider a path to dialogue and trying to find common ground together. I mean, yeah, it's it's interesting, right? Because we see uh, abortion framed as, you know. The bishops would say a non-negotiable, but really it's it's brought up as the non-negotiable uh, issue, right? That they're like, you know, it, it almost doesn't matter what the rest of your policies are because, you know, they're like, we have to lay down the law with this this public Catholic uh, almost so that they they avoid any type of confusion. But I don't know. I, I don't so much buy that because, you know, everyone everyone knows what the church's statement on abortion is. Everyone knows what the, the stance is and the teaching and certainly Joe Biden, who's been in political life for so long as a Catholic, mm-hmm. never hiding that he was a Catholic, knows exactly the teaching of the church on this question. Mm-hmm. For many people, it's, it, it, uh, 
it raised a question, as I said, of how far the bishops are in communion with the Pope in the way of approaching issues. Yeah, and that's that's a big question. I kind of was wondering when I was reading this, you know, could we just frame this as each kind of level here, right? The the Pope and the bishops are are doing what is proper to their levels, right? So I'm saying, for example, like the Pope wants to set, you know, a tone of cooperation, of kind of international, you know, working together, whereas the bishops uh, maybe see it as as their their place as as the local authority to kind of lay down the specifics of the law, whereas the Pope is more of a, okay, let's be kind and conciliatory just as we are with with all these other world leaders. Um, I don't know what you make of that. But th- th- there is another fact, Colleen, that the two bishops who are responsible, if you wish, for are the di- direct pastors of President Biden, first of all, in Wilmington in Delaware, was Bishop Maluli. And the one now is Cardinal Wilton Gregory. They are his pastors. They are the ones who are his pastors as bishops of the diocese in which he is living. Cardinal Gregory sent a congratulations letter to the president when he was elected, and he also carried a book from Pope Francis, an autographed book, a letter stream, and gave it to uh, had had it given to the president. So and Pope Francis in that book, which many of us have read and which I think you have read too, Colin, has has outlined very clearly various positions, including the question of abortion. But he hasn't it's it's a dialogue. Let us dream together, let us work together, let us collaborate together, not let us lock horns on the first day. That's right. And you know, it seemed like there was there's an opportunity here in that you know, Joe Biden identifies as a Catholic, and this could have been an opportunity for for a good collaboration. But, you know, because of these disagreements on a few of these hot button issues, you know, they're taking a much more combative approach. And it feels a little bit counterproductive to that that culture of encounter, that effort of dialogue and working together. The pastor's work is first and foremost to uh, speak the truth to tell each one we're brothers and sisters we must as the pope said in fratelli tutti we have to treat each other as brothers and sisters is this what's happening it's a very important thing for the to bring healing to the nation we don't need more polarization neither in the church nor in the country and and that's that's the perspective from this side of of the atlantic so we have a lot of questions that, that need to be answered still, uh, and obviously this is a conversation that's only going to continue for the next at least four years. Uh, so we will keep our listeners up to date. And in the meantime, if you want to read more about uh, this kind of exchange of statements that's been happening and also the broader questions about the U.S. bishops and U.S. politics, uh, we have a ton of coverage that I'll link to in the show notes. It's also at americamagazine.org. All right, Jerry, I appreciate the chance to get to to talk with you this week about kind of the Vatican perspective on this drama that's unfolding in the U.S. And I hope that y'all can get into the yellow zone pretty soon. 
Yeah, thank you, Colleen. It's been good to chat. I mean, these are very important issues and they reflect a church that's alive, that's discussing, that's in movement and that's trying to find its way. Yes. All right, Jerry, we will chat with you next week. Thanks. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Production assistance this week from Kevin Christopher Robles and from the Jesuit Curia in Rome. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also email us your questions and comments at insidethevatican at americamedia.org. And if you want to support our show, the best way to do so is by subscribing to America Magazine, which you can do at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. We really appreciate your support. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next time.